The four biographies of Jesus that we have in the New Testament make interesting choices in what they include and what they leave out. In John, the last of those biographies, he says that his book could have been much longer, but he chose to put in what he believed would help his readers believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him would have life in his name. Jesus' other biographers made similar choices. That means that there are parts of Jesus' life that we know a great deal about and parts that we know comparatively little. In the last few weeks, we've been looking at the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and we've used information available to us in those weeks from, the, from three chapters in the Bible, two in Luke, one in Matthew, and actually a little bit from a chapter in John. And those are the stories of Jesus' birth and infancy. And in those stories, Mary plays a leading role. But Mary was around for the entirety of Jesus' life, from his birth to his resurrection. And this week, our attention will be on the only story that we have of Jesus as a boy. That's right. So Jesus' biographers spend three chapters to his infancy, his birth and infancy, 57 chapters to his life when he walked and talked and, and uh, performed miracles here on earth, 29 chapters to the last week of his life, and just about 11 or 12 verses to the period in between. And in some ways, you already heard the story, it's a little bit forgettable. Jesus doesn't do a miracle, and other than a puzzling interaction between Jesus and his mother, there doesn't seem to be much here to discuss. And that's bothered some. They want to know more about Jesus as a child, so some have rushed in to try to fill the gaps. And that's why we have a few really crazy stories about Jesus as a child. There's one source from the second century that contains a collection of legends and sayings supposedly about Jesus. Now, no one trusts that these are authentic, and in a moment, I think you'll see why. So let me give you a couple of examples. One story tells us that Jesus made, out of clay, 12 little sparrows, and then when he was finished, brought them to life, and they flew away. In another, one of his buddies fell off the roof of a building and died, and when Jesus arrived on the scene, he saved the day by raising that little boy back to life. And in a third story, Jesus' carpenter dad had just one piece of lumber, but he cut it a little too short, so Jesus just stretched it to make it fit. So I guess the moral of those stories is it's handy to have Jesus around. But those stories aren't true. But the one we're going to talk about today is, and as I'll argue in a moment, it's an important story, in part because of what it tells us about Mary, but even more importantly, what it tells us about Jesus. Now Luke starts the story by telling us that every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Now the every year part here is important. Passover was one of the three sacred festivals that were held in Jerusalem each year. And every Jewish male within 15 miles was required to attend. Those who lived further away, and Jesus' family lived further, much further away, were in, hoped to attend at least once in their lifetime. We're told that Mary and Joseph, though, went every single year, and Jesus went with him. Now, that's even though they lived 80 miles away, which required probably a three- or four-day journey to make up that distance. And the fact that they made that journey each year shows their seriousness about their faith and their desire to pass it on to their children. Mary and Joseph nurtured their son, not only physically, but also spiritually, they knew that it was their responsibility to teach him the things of God. Now, it may sound awkward to imagine Jesus' very human parents passing on their faith to the Son of God. But in addition to being divine, Jesus was also human. And that means that he went through the normal stages of development that we all do. 
And spiritual growth happened to him, for him, in many of the same ways it does for us. Sure, as Jesus grew, he displayed remarkable abilities, intelligence, and wisdom, but those came gradually through the normal process of development under the influence of his home, his community, his school, and the synagogue. But Mary and Joseph did their part, and as we'll see in a moment, he eventually outgrew what they were able to teach him. But regardless, the story points out the importance of family in the spiritual development of children. Jesus was shaped by the family that he grew up in. It was there that he acquired the values that shaped his life, the daily rhythms of scripture reading and worship, and just the conversation he had with his siblings and his parents. We shouldn't take away from this that Jesus' family was perfect. It was in a good home, but not a perfect home. Families do not have to be perfect to be used by God. God's grace is present for us even when the circumstances are less than ideal. But it does make it easier in a family where parents intentionally try to pass on their faith to their children. That's why even during COVID, we've made a commitment to provide digital resources to families who are not able to be with us present in in-person worship. So you can teach your, your children at home, even if we can't be together. It's our responsibility to pass on our faith to our children so they may grow and flourish in every area of life, especially spiritually. Jesus' parents taught him the great stories of the Bible. And one of the greatest of those stories is the story of Passover. Passover is the, the story of how Jesus, or God, excuse me, delivered the people from slavery in the hands of Pharaoh in Egypt. He was the world's most powerful ruler. Egypt was the most powerful nation. And God brought the people of Israel, maybe a million strong, out of Egypt to the promised land. When Jesus was living, though, this story took on added significance. That's because they were once again living in bondage. While they still lived in the land, the land that they'd been promised, they were living under Roman rule. So when they celebrated Passover, they not only looked back on what God had done, but they looked forward with hope, dreaming of a day when God would drive out the Romans and they would once again be free to live in the land under self-rule. If you want to imagine what Passover in those days felt like, if you can just do a thought experiment for a moment with me, and that is to imagine what the 4th of July would feel like to us as Americans if our nation were occupied by a foreign army. We might gather and read together publicly the Declaration of Independence. Then we'd talk about, among ourselves about our desire to once again be free and independent. For Jesus, this particular Passover was special. Jesus, Luke tells us, was 12 years old. And in Jewish culture, around 12 or 13, a boy went from being a child to an adult. Now, while the practice of a bar mitzvah wasn't, uh, wouldn't be around for several hundred years, the same principle was in place, that a boy like Jesus at this particular age would be considered ready to accept the responsibilities and obligations of being an adult. So this was an important year in Jesus' life. Now Luke skips over the festival itself and picks things up when the family is headed home to Galilee. The problem is that when Jesus' parents headed for home, he stayed behind in Jerusalem. It wasn't until evening of the first day, they on their way back, that Mary and Joseph noticed Jesus was missing. Now don't take this with, for the idea that they were careless parents and negligent in any way. They probably traveled together with a group of 100 friends and relatives on their way back to their hometown. 
Um, and at the time, it was common for the women and children to leave earlier in the morning, the men to leave a little later. They would all arrive around the same time at the designated spot where they'd spend the night. So probably Mary thought Jesus was with Joseph. Joseph thought Mary, Jesus was with Mary, or maybe they both thought he was with a relative. But regardless, it wasn't until they stopped for the evening that they noticed that he was not there. So they'd gone 20 or 25 miles, and Jesus wasn't there. So they spent a very anxious night. And then early the next morning, they made their way back to Jerusalem. They arrived just as the sun was setting, and so two days now have passed since they've seen their son. Early the next morning, on the third day, Mary and Joseph set out to look for Jesus. Now, Mary must have been very anxious, because if you can imagine, she's probably thinking, as we all would, about all the things that could have gone wrong. As the day went on, they still couldn't locate Jesus and began to imagine the worst. And then they found him in, of all places, the temple. It says they were astonished. It was the last place they expected to find him. But Jesus quickly let them know it was the first place they should have looked. This shows that they were still getting their heads around who this son of theirs was. Now Mary's relieved, but she's also angry. So she says, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. To which Jesus says... Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? Now, at first glance, what Jesus says here is startling. He sounds a little bit like a petulant teenager. So first, he's inconsiderate, and he stays in Jerusalem, even though he knows his family's returning home. And then he tells them that they should have known where he was. Now, wherever they looked, the ball fields or the mall or the friends of uh, some house of a friend, the reason they didn't find him is because they weren't looking in the right place. Where else would he have been, he says, but in the temple discussing the things of his father. So the irony here is that he's not hiding at all. He's in the most public of all places in the city. And Jesus makes no attempt to apologize. He says, you should have known. Now, some background on what's going on here. During the festival of the Passover, the religious leaders, those who are interested in wrestling with the spiritual, theological, and ethical ideas, would gather in the temple courts and talk among themselves. And that's where Jesus was. And his parents knew that he already had a keen interest in these things. Jesus was probably at least a little bit of the nerdy type who always had his nose in a scroll. We're told that Jesus was sitting among the teachers, listening and asking questions, taking the posture of a learner, and occasionally making his own contributions. And everyone was amazed at his understanding and his insight. Jesus knew what he was talking about, had wisdom and understanding and knowledge well beyond his years. And all of that's remarkable, but there's one specific insight that Jesus shared with his parents that is particularly important. So let me go back to the conversation. Mary says, your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And Jesus responds in this way. He says, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? Now, on one level, what Jesus is doing is insulting Joseph, this man who adopted him after Mary's miraculous pregnancy. But at the same time, what he's saying is astounding because he's claiming God as his father, making himself the son of God. Many believe that it was on this trip that Jesus came to a full understanding of the special and unique relationship that he had with God. Bluntly, then, what he's telling his parents is that I am now under a higher authority than you. Staying behind was a matter of obedience to my heavenly father. 
Ultimately, I am answerable to God. That means that he needed to be in his father's house, or as some translations have it, about his father's business. Literally, the translation would be, in the things of my father. But from this point on, Jesus has an awareness of his purpose here on earth, and it begins to take shape. So it's not an exaggeration to say that on this day, it was the day that Jesus discovered who he was. Which brings us back to Mary. After she found Jesus in the temple, Luke tells us that Jesus went to Nazareth, where they were home, and he was obedient to them. So Jesus remained obedient to his parents. He continued to keep the commandment, even if his ultimate allegiance was to his heavenly father. The same, by the way, is true for us. Our ultimate allegiance is to God, not to any other authority. But Luke has one other comment toward the end. He says, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. So if you're concerned that, that Jesus overstepped his bounds and disrespected his mother, this should allay your fears. This incident probably was something that maybe initially bothered Mary, but over time she began to reflect and understand. And in time, came to understand and have a clear understanding of Jesus' true purpose and mission. Mary may have expected, as we've mentioned in previous weeks, that Jesus would come or the Messiah would come and be a political, military, and religious leader, that he would throw off, overthrow Herod and Caesar. But even at 12 years old, Jesus wasn't cooperating. And eventually, many years later, she would understand that he was right. Luke ends by saying that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and all humanity. Jesus was the son of God, but he was also human. And in becoming one of us, he took on the very limitations that we take on, that we experience. But in time, he showed us what it was like, what it would be like for us to live the life that God has for us. And as he grew, he grew in all ways like we ought to intellectually, morally, socially, and spiritually. Would you pray with me? Father, if Jesus needed to intentionally grow toward maturity, so ought we. So as we face now a new year, we pray, Father, that we would pursue you spiritually, that we would grow in all ways, but especially in our relationship with you. Father, you have given each one of us responsibility here on earth responsibilities to family and work and to community. But may we always remember that our primary loyalty is to you and you alone. May we always make you first in our lives, letting nothing take the place of you at the center of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.